do that. Wonderful. So um, if this is your first time being at one of these Come to the Table series, just sort of a little brief or a bio about them. As we started them, I think this year particularly, we may have sort of kind of come across a little bit of it last year, but the idea is, or the, the vision or the heart of what these Sundays are all about, is, is just reminding us again that as we, as we come to the table um, and share communion, which we will do this morning, we do so with a really, all of us, a very unique um, and yet uh, and very special story, and yet a story that is um, very common as well, threads that go all the way through. And in my heart or our heart in, in sharing these stories, or if you've been around a while, testimonies, um, is that they, there is something powerful about, about hearing someone's story. And, and for, for some reason or another, it seems to be God's go-to often when it comes to speaking encouragement or, or really meeting us where we're at, is using one another to do that. And so this morning, and up until now, we've had couples. Um, these two aren't a couple. Um, but they're a couple of mates, friends. But um, I thought I, I was sort of getting a little bit worried over we're keeping doing having married couples, and I wanted to sort of just push that out as well. Um, and so none of you are safe. Um, to and and please say yes to me when I ask you to be part of this series. But and I because I do so. Um, this is a preempt for for all of you future invitees. I do so because it really is the sense that each of us have have treasure, have diamonds in our story that really you have no idea. Um, we often think of our own stories as being really not really having much of value, and yet it is just so untrue. And, and God has the ability um, to use the average ordinary to speak the extraordinary to others. So um, no pressure, gentlemen. But um, why don't we start? You can introduce yourselves. Which Steve are you? Steve Pound. Steve Pound. The other one. Yeah, there you go. Um, and so I just, what, what we like to do is start by just sort of um, doing a little bit of an icebreaker, maybe calm the nerves a little bit. And, and the idea is, why don't you share something with us, each of you, um, that we will be surprised to hear or know about you. Um, I once broke into a police car and didn't get arrested. Wow. <laughs> I love these stories. <laughs> I feel like we need a little bit more information. Like, how did you get away with it? <laughs> um, well, actually, the policeman locked his keys in the car, and uh, he knew that I was madly into cars, and I pulled a uh, coat hanger out of my closet, and within about 20 seconds, broke into his car. Well done. Wow. So if you're ever in doubt about a future job, I feel like um, there could be something in that. How about you, Steve? That wasn't the story I was expecting. <laughs> Um, I met Princess Margaret once. Wow. Mm. Um, she came into our school and did the royal tour thing, and I was hiding at the back of the art room, knowing that there was no chance that I was going to have to speak to this lady. And she walked in the room and uh, had a look around, and, and we were standing in front of these creations that we'd made. Um, and for some reason, she looked at what I'd made and came straight over to me. And I had made a clay duck. 
It was quite a large kind of duck, and she asked me what I was going to do with it, and I told her I was going to shoot it. And, then... <laughs> and we had a great conversation. <laughs> Wonderful. Gosh, isn't that incredible? I'd love to stop there. That's like, wow. <laughs> so great. That didn't make it into the crown, though, in this series, unless I've gone all the way through. I feel like that would have been a fantastic um, addition. <laughs> well done. All right, well, I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to get into some of this. So, Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I do thank you for, for each of these gentlemen. I thank you for, for their life story. I thank you for their yes. I thank you for their openness. And so we just pray this morning that um, your Holy Spirit would lead us as we, as we have a conversation with, with each other, and that you would speak to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Wonderful. So I'll, I'll start with... Um, with you, Steve Pound, um, about really one of the questions. And, and so for those of you who don't know, I normally just in preparation for, for this sort of time, I'll email out a little bit of a brief and some really big open-ended questions to kind of get them thinking about, about this whole idea of their life journey. It's not something we often take a lot of time to consider. And so one of the big ones that, that we do, because it's so linked to this coming to the table, is this idea, Steve Pound, for you, um, what is it that keeps you coming back or coming to the table? This idea of communion, of, of living life and journeying life with Jesus and coming to him. To me, it's out of a huge sense of just thankfulness to God. Not only for what Jesus did on the cross for me, but just, um, just enormous uh, thankfulness for the life I have. And 20 years ago, I started traveling the world and I've been to about 40 countries around the world. And a lot of those, I went to developing countries. And um, you know, as I sort of journeyed through real poverty-stricken countries, um, I realised just the privilege we have in New Zealand. And I've lived, I now it's like 20 years ago, I really thought, you know, I've got to, I really want to push my faith. I want to grow in Jesus, grow in my relationship with God. And I thought, how the heck can I do that? And I thought, I'm the sort of person that kind of learns life the hard way. Um, if you tell me I can't do something, I'd probably give it a crack and try it. And I've got the scars to prove it. But, you know, I like to, I probably learn by trying. And um, I just, in my relationship with God, I really thought I, I need to push my relationship. It's just a little too comfortable. So um, I decided I would go to the hardest place I could possibly find, which at that point was Calcutta in India. And um, just started, a, you know, working in mission work. So I spent about uh, 15, 20 years, I can't remember what it is, doing mission work, um, mainly in Fiji, which is where I met my wife, and then um, went to India and lived there for a number of years. And um, Lots of journeys along the way, but it made me realise just how privileged I am in New Zealand. Um, we're so fortunate, you know, as I said, I've, I've lived and worked in squatter settlements. We lived in a very poor part of Calcutta. Um, and it tests your faith. And um, it just, why do I keep coming back? You know, God's been good to me. And, you know, New Zealand's got plenty of problems. You can ask the guys at Springboard. Um, we've got our problems. But for me, I've, I've really probably been pretty privileged growing up um, in here. And it just reminds me, you know, what am I going to do to to give back? And Steve, um, for you, we kind of talked about 
this idea of, for all of us, we know that when we first um, encountered Jesus to, to maybe where we are now, there's, there's a change, and I, dare I use the word evolution to our faith. Um, you can write me an email later. Um, but there's a, there's a, a changing or a, or kind of a, a moving on of, our, of our, all of our faith journeys. And, and Steve Reynolds, for you, you know, how, have you found, how have you found over the years your, your faith or your faith journey change? And then really what, what, if anything, can you put that down to as being a catalyst to that kind of change? Simple question. <laughs> There's a lot in that. Um, I spent the first half of my life growing up in the UK. You need some background. Um, my dad's an um, Anglican priest. He still is. He's retired, but he's still going. Um, so I grew up in a very traditional Christian home. Um, my dad's more academic than he is practical. I'm kind of the opposite. Um, and at our dining room table, most nights, um, there's pretty healthy discussion going on around a whole range of stuff. So I had a lot of head knowledge. Um, and then when I was 11, I went to boarding school for five years, worst five years of my life. Um, and in that time... Um, that was the first time my faith, I found, really, I was really challenged um, because, you know, I kind of grew up, I knew scripture inside out, but I hadn't really experienced God for myself. And so um, I have a very clear memory. I think I was about 14, 13, 14. I had a side hustle going on at school. Um, I'd set up, we lived in this mansion that had many rooms that weren't being used and I'd set two up and I was fixing and repairing bikes. Uh, for all the other lazy students. and um, But there was a real tension in my life at the time because I knew scripture and I'd read the Bible and yet that wasn't the world that I was experiencing in my day-to-day and I hated it. It was like I felt like I was lukewarm, you know, that passage about being lukewarm. Um, and I struggled with that for a long time. But I can clearly remember being in that room and screaming at God saying, you need to show yourself to me because all my knowledge is in my head. Um, and nothing happened. And that happened several times. And, um, and I can just, yeah, remember that process um, repeating itself through the years. Um, and then I uh, ended up doing five years at agricultural college and I was kind of doing my own thing. Then I wasn't, you know... My relationship was quite... My dad, I talked to my dad this morning in the UK and he described it as a zigzag. And I think, you know, some of us do do a bit of this and I was definitely on a way out zag. Um, there was lots of things to enjoy, but I wasn't really foc- I was focused on my faith or my spiritual journey at that point because I didn't experience that around me with the other people that I was around. Um, but I was still frustrated, like... Um, yeah, I, I still, you know, half my mates got into some serious trouble doing a whole bunch of stuff they really shouldn't have. I only ever got into trouble with cars, all right? But, you know, um, yeah. Um, and, you know, like, there was something inside of me that wouldn't allow me to go and do a whole bunch of stuff that I could have and never did, um, which I found interesting. Anyway, did five years at college, went to America for a year, uh, and then I came here. And I got invited over here to... Uh, work. Um, it was kind of a holiday, really. But 
when I was over here, when I was in the States, I was part of a really big crew driving. I just wanted to drive the biggest John Deere equipment I could find. So um, I ended up working for a harvest crew over there and had an absolute ball. Um, and then I came over here, and I think at that point there was like maybe five John Deere combines in the whole country um, of the ones that I was used to driving. So I, I ended up driving this combine harvester now. It's a massive machine. It's um, sort of three and a half metres wide, four and a half metres high, and then you stick this header on the front, which is kind of, well, in the States it was 40 foot. Over here it was like 20. Um, but... I, I came back to that exact same point in my life of um, having spent a lot of time on my own um, of, okay, God, it's all or nothing. Either what you say is real and what I read is real and you're in my life and um, you know, I need the other bit. I need the you to show up here and now. Like I could see him. I knew he was there in creation. Never had a problem with that. That's my happy place, right? But I wanted more, you know. If I'd gone to India, I might have found it, but I wasn't that brave. <laughs> but one night, um, I was in the combine, and what you need to know is that I was living um, in my boss's house at the time, and they're both Christian, and his wife was full-on Christian. And for a couple of months now, she'd been doing my washing, and every time she hung my washing out in the line, it was one black T-shirt after another with a different heavy metal band on it, right? And she was praying over every single T-shirt on that line. And I knew something was going on, but I didn't know that. Um, but again, I had a screaming match with God one night. And I'm in the combine harvester in the middle of deepest, darkest Waikato. There was just me and a grain cart, and he'd left to go and fill up a truck. Um, and I had a screaming match with God, and, one, and he showed up in the combine that night. Like, literally, like, it was like, like a thousand gazillion fairy lights all turned on. Um, and I couldn't stay in there, I had to get out. <laughs> I had to stop the machine and get out, because I couldn't stay in that place. It was really funny. It is funny looking back. At the time, I was like, oh, okay. Um, and then the jockeyman driver turns back up, and I'm still wandering around the paddock quite dazed. And, yeah, I ended up getting back in, and I was like, okay, now what? Um, so then I ended up at Bible College for a year. And having had that experience, I thought, sweet, we're on the sweet ride now. Um, you know? But I can remember being at Bible College at a chapel time, and God turned up, like, big time. I mean, he turned up all the time. But this morning it was different. Like everybody was on the floor, apart from me, the guy leading, and a couple of the worship team that was still carrying on. Um, and I can remember being in that room and feeling like I was a dried-up totra post in that room because everyone else was having amazing things happen. And there's me going, yeah, this is nice, girl. This is, this is quite nice. Not. Um, and I couldn't figure it out. And I knew there was more. But for me, I don't know, it was like a blockage. It was like, I had a whole bunch of people pray for me. At that point, there was a guy came through. I mean, I was going after this. I was, like, determined that there was more to this than, than me. And um, at that point, there was a guy came through called uh, Mal Malone, a very powerful guy in the deliverance ministry. And um, he had a major session with me one day, which was quite interesting. Fastest weight loss process in history. 
Um, and he got me to tag team with him on the student ministry night. I think I must have been on staff at this point. Um, so I'm standing next to him for the whole night, and he's praying for people, okay? And people are flying across the room. Um, Mal would kind of know what was going on with someone because either he saw it or parts of his body would be um, afflicted, right? So, like, um, like, he'd put his hand on someone and his heat would go up his hands and it would mean something to him. He would knew what he was going after in prayer. And so he'd grab my hand and put my hand on the person and he's like, can you feel that? And I'm like, uh-huh, no. <laughs> um, you know, like, and he was telling me what was going on with him while he was praying for this person. And so there was different parts of his body that were being afflicted because I wanted to understand how it worked for him because it was all a bit weird. Um, but literally, there were a couple of people that he just touched and, you know, went six feet backwards and then he came back to them at the end of the night and had quite an interesting experience um, in the deliverance side of things. Um, you know, but there was other people where he described to me what he's seeing and he's seeing some really horrible stuff. Um, and I'm going, hmm, that's nice. Um, but it was pretty obvious. I could see it with my eyes that people's lives were being changed right in front of me and in the spiritual realm, major stuff was going down. And it was almost like, and not that I had no clue, but... Um, you know, I'm going, where? I must be really different. And so, for me, that's been a real struggle to actually accept that actually I am different. All of us are different. We all relate to God in a completely different way. And how God works with one person is completely different with another person. But for me, at my core, it was me not actually accepting who God had made me to be and how I was. And that took 20, 30 years. I'm still on that journey. We all are to some degree. Wonderful. Steve um, Pound, you know, you mentioned about spending um, a lot of time of your life sort of living living overseas, living in, in sort of areas that are incredibly different from where we find our reality here, you know. And I often think, you know, what we what we um, call blessing often is just a Western privilege. You talked about privileged or, or, or really, a, a, you know, a collective affluence um, that we, we consider um, or we can call that a blessing when really it is just the privilege of what we have and where we live. Um, how for you in sort of spending so much of your faith journey living in a completely different environment where where I guess that version, I should say, of blessing is so far away from the reality of the people that you, do, you were doing life with or did life with. Um, how did that affect your faith journey? Like how did that, um, yeah, how did you wrestle with that, I guess, sort of stuff that we would probably all find incredibly difficult? To be honest, I really feel it's taken my faith apart. Um, I remember sitting on the street in Calcutta one day, and there's this old man, all he had was a, a longy on his, around his middle. He was sitting on a pile of dirt. He um, was sitting, and he was pulling pieces of rice out of the dirt and creating a little pile so he could eat it. And what got me the most was he was covered in flies. 
And I remember sitting there thinking, I just sat on the side of the road and stared at the sky for quite a while. And I thought, how does a loving God let that happen in this world? And it really took my faith apart. I don't have any answers for it. Um, that was a long time ago. I still don't have any answers. Why does a loving God um, put us through such hard times? Each of us. Each of us has got a story. Each of us has had t tough times. Um, I still don't have the answers for it, but I've seen enough to know that Jesus is the answer. And, you know, I said to one of my kids the other day, um, you know, you're going to go through tough times in life. Um, I think one of the last things Jesus said before he went to heaven was, um, I've got to think of the verse now, uh, in this life you'll have many troubles. Behold, I, you know, I'm the answer. Um, so I don't actually have any really um, answers for you guys today. I have seen a lot of stuff and, and experience. We've had some tough times. Um, but I don't know that Jesus is the answer to it all. Wonderful. And for you, um, Steve, you know, one of the things that we, we mark on our, our journey is those ideas of, like you've shared so much of um, who, you, you know, who you are now or getting to that place of being able to say say comfortably or as close to comfortably as you can that I am different and that's, that's good and it's right. And maybe the models of faith and, and what it is to be a follower of Jesus that have been exalted in the past don't fit, but that's okay. I'm still, um, I'm still who God made me to be. Um, all of those things are wisdom that's been picked up along the way. For you, how have you found or, or what sort of wisdom would you most love to be able to share with someone, hey, say, who's 20 years your junior or um, which would only be 10 now, I think, yeah. Um, or, or what do you wish, you know, like, and, and it's kind of a funny way often, we wish we would have known something earlier, but, but oftentimes that just is, you know, what, what wisdom or what sort of truth or things that you really treasure now would you love to have known early in your journey or would you love to share with someone else? I'm going to answer this in two parts. Um, I, think, I think if you're a parent here today, the most important thing you can do is to share your journey with your children now. You know, it, we all say that you know, kids are great observers. They pick up everything, they're sponges. Um, but you know, for me growing up in the home that I grew up in, I had all the head knowledge. Like The conversations around the dinner table were amazing. But I wasn't seeing... Like, I never, I didn't see anything else beyond that from my parents. It was like 20 years later, like, I think it was the last time I was in the UK, actually. It was probably about eight years ago. Um, having a conversation with my mother. And, um, you know, so you've got to put into context, right? If you've got to think stiff British upper lip here, okay? Because most of the things that we know in the UK are not said. <laughs> They're inferred. So having a conversation with my mum and trying to explain some of these struggles that I'd had as a child, or as a, well, not a child, but a young adult, and, um, and, then, you know, and then she's telling me that, oh, I've been speaking in tongues for 20-something years, and I'm like, oh, really? That's nice to know. <laughs> um, and dad too, and my dad, like I said, is a real academic, and I'm like, really? And then so we had this conversation about their ministry. Right? And the things that went on that we never saw as kids. Um, you know, um, amazing things like miracles and all sorts of stuff. 
but that never got talked about and that never got seen. And so for a parent, I think there's a massive invitation to share that part of your faith journey with your kids or let them see it. You don't have to, I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's wisdom in that. Me getting half the story didn't do much for me at the time. Um, but yeah, those younger people that are approaching that age where you kind of know everything. Um, <laughs> like at my core, I knew that I was okay and I knew who I was. Um, at the age, you know, that sort of the 13 to 20-something, um, I always knew who, and I had a really solid grounding, but I didn't know who I was in God. I didn't know what God actually thought of me because God, God doesn't say, well, to me, he doesn't say, you know, you're amazing, you know, da 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 and, and list off these things, but actually he does. There's a whole places in Scripture where he tells you who you are and I think it's a good thing for, you know, I think Kiwi culture and Kiwi Christian culture is a little bit different. Like, if you're hanging out in here, there's enough people in here that will actually speak into your life in a positive way and will tell you who you are, directly sometimes and sometimes indirectly, but especially for teenagers, like, tell them who God sees them as, you know. There's a whole list in there in Scripture of God. You know, half the time... Jesus is telling us about the kingdom and who God is, and the other time he's telling you who you are. And it's the same today. Um, you know, when I was growing up, it wasn't really until um, I was sitting around the dining room table in New Zealand at, with this contractor I worked for, with his wife, and, um, you know, things started to change in my life, and then she started, we had these whole other conversations, and she spoke that into my life over dinner table, one after the other. And I can't tell you the difference that made. So, yeah, if you're trying to figure out this whole thing for yourself and you're at that younger age, and go and hang around some people that um, are going to speak some positive stuff into your life because it makes a massive difference. You need to know who you are, but you need to know who God says that you are as well. Wonderful. Steve Pound. I should have thought of that one. I, mean, I could have called you S1 and S2 or something like that. or um, You know... Steve, like so much of the, um, really the, the deeper or the aftermath, I guess, of the last year that we've all experienced is the incredible in-your-face confronting reality that we are not in control. We do all know that, eh? Remember? <laughs> Don't it remind us? That, you know, and yet that's something that in our experience or where we live or where we find ourselves, that's an easy lie to... That's an easy lie to adopt, is that we are in control of our life, of our destiny. Um, and so much of your experience of living in the third world, um, that isn't the case. Do you know, like, well, I'm assuming, you know, well, we talked a little bit before, that that, that, that that illusion of control just is nowhere near as strong. And so what I'd love for you to maybe just to finish this part of your part of, of our conversation is, you know, of, of all of the possibilities um, that have opened up for, for us um, post being radically reminded that we are not in control, what would be your heart's desire for, for I guess, the church, people, people's hearts, people's minds, um, the way they see 
one another the way they see God in this sort of next season of life and, and faith journey? You know, I think our, our society tells us be comfortable, look after yourself, don't hurt yourself. You know, with all the health and safety rules, you know, you know you've got to look after yourself. You're number one. Um, I'm a little bit different. Um, when, we, when we go motor racing, we go to win. And um, when I go to test my car, um, I like to push it to the absolute edge. And then I like to go over the edge. So if I, if I haven't spun the car out or I haven't made a mistake, I, I don't know where the limit of my race car is until I've gone over it, you know? Sometimes in our Christian life, we get comfortable. And, you know, it might seem a failure if um, the guys at the racetrack see me spin my car out. To me, it's not a failure. Um, I've made a mistake, but then I've learnt where the limit of my car is. I've got no idea where the limit of my car is until I've been over it. It's kind of like our Christian lives. In my view, um, we get comfortable. And you know, I'm talking to myself here too, because I think we've got to, each one of us has to review where we are in our relationship with Jesus and say, okay, um, God's in control. Um, I don't need to listen to what's going on in the world. Um, sure, COVID's around. Um, you know, if, if I had the opportunity, I'd, I'd go back to Calcutta tomorrow. Um, but I think we've just got to keep saying to ourselves, um, what's next? How do I push my relationship with Jesus a little bit harder till it hurts, till I make a mistake? Mistakes are not wrong, um, in my view. Um, we, I think in our relationship with Jesus, we need to go to the hard place and say, okay, this hurts, but let's go further. Um, you know, it's too easy in New Zealand and in our, in our current lives to be comfortable. You know, whether it be COVID or what, if God says go to Calcutta, um, I'd go. Probably get COVID, but I'd go. <laughs> Wonderful. And, and we're going to finish um, this morning with, with really a kind of bookending that, that original question to um, Steve Reynolds, um, that, I, that, that idea of, of what keeps you coming back um, to the table, to communion, to life with Jesus. I think um, there's a lot in that for me. Uh, on one side of it, I grew up with a very contemplative background. Okay, like I went to church every Sunday. I could still recite the liturgy for you word for word. Um, you know, and that was 30 years ago. Um, but there's a part of me now that sees the wisdom in that. And so a small part of communion for me now is, um, it's not a small part, but it's that time of contemplation of me actually reframing things for that moment and putting, you know, just having that contextual space to go, there's God and there's me and, you know, there's that physical partaking of... Um, of the bread and the wine, and so for me, it, 
it's always a contemplative time of remembering that and um, and it's it's kind of a being thing I'm sure it is for some of you too like once I got rid of a lot of religious stuff you know I can remember having communion on the beach with a can of coke and some chips and it was the same thing when I told my father that he was horrified but um, that's another story um, but you know it's also it's a, it's also that constant invitation of of like, you know, how often do we check ourselves in as to where are we at? You know, whether it's weekly or daily or sometimes, you know, during the day. Um, if your days are anything like mine, it's like sometimes you get to the end of the day and you're like, okay, what happened? Um, and you're not doing that checking and you're, you're just doing the automatic stuff. Um, but, yeah. And then God and I have a joke about communion as well because every time we have communion since I've been in New Zealand, I pray that that wine is actually going to be wine. <laughs> it's going to happen one day. Wonderful. <laughs> I love it. I'm totally on board. I love that. Why don't, we, why don't we stand? Give these guys a big round of applause. It really is... Um, we, we try really hard to... to um, as best we can really, you know, kind of keep these things that are really relational, carefree, relaxed thing. But this is no easy thing. Um, and it just is so special. So thank you, guys. And I just want to read, if we put that slide up, I'm just going to uh, read this out. Um, it's kind of our prayer. Uh, it's how we see 